Oh, Veronica, I'm so excited for this. Me too. I just, I, an episode on T2. Oh my god, I'm just. I, it was. It was just so great seeing the whole gang back together again. I know. Oh, right. You, you get to see Renton and Spud and Sick Boy and oh my god, Big Beast uh, oh, back and just seeing oh. these characters again. It was just uh, so much fun. John, did you watch the wrong movie? We were gonna watch Terminator Two. 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 Terminator Two, not Train Spotting Two. In what world is that your go-to T two is Train Spotting Two and not one of the best movies of all time, Terminator Two? Huh. Okay, can we pause the recording for about two and a half hours? Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Here I go. Toot toot. Toot toot. <laughs> 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 I gotta say, it was so. I saw Trade Spotting 2 in the theaters, in an empty theater in LA. Uh, it oh, was wow. fine. Um, what the balls, the balls on Danny Boyle and crew to name their movie T2. I know. I did not. So I love the first Trade Spotting, and I never got around to watching the second one because I assume it's bad and I, it will make me sad. I would call it more inessential. But you know what? This is not the Train Spotting 2 pod- podcast. Yeah. Because apparently about... that movie was not number one in 1991. <laughs> what are the odds? If it wasn't, I mean, they did not develop the ability to time travel like we have. So, Those fools. Who, who are we? Uh, we are time travelers. My name is Veronica. I'm John. Uh, no last names this week, I guess. Because um, we don't want uh, Danny Boyle and Ewan McGregor coming after us for I saying mean, that no. T2 is inessential. Um, yeah. This is Box Office Time Machine. We talk about the number one movie at the box office this weekend or weekend in the past. This Yay. week, we are traveling back into the past all the way to 1991. Which, since I still feel very young, I'm sure it was about four years ago, five years ago. Whatever the oh, case, yeah, yeah. the movie we're talking about. Keep talking. That's that's your that's your okay. Uh, sorry, should I, the movie we're talking about, 1991's James Cameron masterpiece, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. <laughs> you did the whole intro because I was ready, waiting for the doo 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 to do. You did the build up, which I respect because most people want to rush to get to the boo doo 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 doo. What an evocative theme! It fucking rules. <laughs> and you know what? I think a lot of this movie fucking rules. Oh, same. I love this movie. I. uh it, this is the first or one of the first movies, along with Gone with the Wind, so I don't know what my parents were thinking, that I remember watching, ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the two big quotes of all time 
are I'll never go hungry again and uh, no fate but what you make. Truly the greatest quotes in um, uh, films based on books, and by that I mean the book Gone with the Wind and the short story that they ripped off the plot for for the original Terminator and they had to pay a lot of money. Um, Ooh, sassy. Oh, wait, I might, it was it a short story or a TV script? You know what, fuck, let me look that up. Uh, but, uh, quick, say something. Uh, it was very nice to see the Karolka logo. I totally forgot that they produced it, and it was the harbinger of good times. <laughs> um, oh my god, where? Where in the... Also, apparently Edward... Know... What? I was just gonna say that Edward Furlong had an affair with a tutor of his when he was 15, and she, uh, and she was 28, for like years. Wait, and what was a... that? Yeah. Edward I'm sorry, Furlong. I was trying to do this quick research, and then your fact was too dark. What? Yeah, isn't it dark? Yeah, so Edward Furlong had an affair, a long-term relationship with this woman who was his tutor. Uh, he was 15, she was 28, uh, and went on for a while. Uh, and they... Uh, his uncle, so apparently they changed the statutory rape laws in 94, and has already been dating this woman for two years at that point. So they were and grandfathered his, in? Well, his uncle filed a lawsuit against her, but uh, it was unsuccessful. I don't know why. Well, but, that's okay. I'm sure Eddie Furlong, uh, his life went super well after that point, because what... That and being the star of a movie, what good life experiences for a child. Nothing wrong yes. could come from that. Boy, this Love Fest <laughs> episode instantly got dark. And it's a Harlan Ellison short story, Soldier, that was turned into an Outer Limits episode that uh, they stole the plot of the Terminator from. And that will probably be one of the only negative things that I have to say about this. Because I mm -hmm. do believe this is a nigh-perfect sequel. Yeah, I think this is really great. I so I've never really watched all the way through the first one. Really? So the yeah, so I know the plot and but I can't imagine what it must have been like in 1991, mm -hmm. like being a fan of the original movie and like going in and being like Oh, he's a villain, and then it turns out that like he like uh, the Terminator, might, uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is all of a sudden the good guy, and it's like, oh, what a great twist! Like That's... I I assumed it in my head because I like you know I only know the the second one so. Yeah. And the subsequent sequels, which are terrible. Well, but, that's, that's an interesting yeah. place to start because um, there are so many. I I the. To keep this from just being a, 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 a an hour of us being, yeah, that's good. That was good, too. Um, <laughs> I was really thinking about trying to think about what makes this good as a sequel. Um, and some of the interesting things are the ways it organically continues and how they twist the characters from the first one. And perhaps the most obvious twist being that Arnold plays the good guy, a good Terminator in this one. He literally goes from a nonstop killing, nonstop killing machine to tearfully hugging a child at the end of this movie. Aww. About as far a jump as possible. But, and you say that's a huge twist, no one in the theaters uh, was surprised by that twist, unfortunately, because it was uh, spoiled in all the marketing. 
Oh, really? Oh, that's a bummer. I was going to say, I was hoping they would keep it a secret, but I guess that's kind of hard. I think in uh, Roger Ebert's review of it, he complains about that. Um, but yeah, the, the tagline at the end of the trailer is literally, this time he's back. Oh, this time he'll be back for, for good. good. Oh, okay, great. It's a double well, end, it's kinda, double meaning. <laughs> well, now I, I kind of want to downgrade my praise for that because they have it like all set up like suspenseful uh, into, or like suspensefully when at first when they go to the... Uh, what's it? What is it like? The mall? I think that's a, yes. the initial one where you find out that he's the good guy, and Up that until is he like says get down. Yeah, so it's like, come on! It would have been so good if people were surprised by it. Now it's making me upset. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't think uh, I don't I don't know that that was James Cameron's choice. Uh, I, I don't know. I would guess he had the power at this point to have some control over marketing, but I really don't know. But yeah, it does, if you watch the movie, it really is structured at the beginning to you not knowing who is right. the villain because, uh, you know, I mean, there's some body language going on with Robert Patrick's performance where you're like, this guy doesn't seem like a likable Michael Bean type, but <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bean didn't lunge an arm straight into a man's chest the first time we saw him, but, you know... Um, so, so it's the you're... 90s, man. Oh, yeah, it was wild. That was a, that was a low-down 80s where you could kill Bill Paxton punks on the street instead of having to go <laughs> into a whole biker bar. Um, <clears throat> so you, have, you've never seen Terminator 1 in I've fall? seen, uh, yeah, I've seen parts of it. I've mm -hmm. never seen it fall. I, I, it feels like a different genre of a movie from what I've seen. I feel like this one is very much sort of the Arnold action hero movies that i like where he's like very quippy and it's fun action sequences but it's also funny whereas i feel like terminator is very much in my impression of it just like a straightforward kind of like i guess darker movie it's and it's a, yeah it's very much a sci-fi slasher movie um yeah. it's i mean you think about it, it's coming out in the mid 80s those are all the rage it's a spin on what was then one of the most popular genres um, uh, you know, the way we, we now have, oh, ours is a superhero movie, but it's also, a, it's actually a heist movie. This was, this is a slasher movie, but it's actually a, a sci-fi movie, you know, down to the fact that in the first Terminator, like, uh, uh, Linda Hamilton's roommate character gets killed right after she and her boyfriend have sex, like stuff like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, there are a bunch of little like slasher movie tropes in there. It's been years since I saw that one because while, uh, as a kid, I had seen this one on TV a lot, and I do want to talk about the whole kid thing, because, <laughs> boy, is this the greatest children's movie ever made that just so happens to be rated R. Um, <laughs> but I, I would see it, I, I feel like this would be played uh, in the in the mid-90s, all, like, Sunday morning, or Sunday afternoon movies on, on uh, network TV all the time. So mm -hmm. I finally, I went out and I bought a VHS box set. Um, and when I say Two I cassettes. went out, I went out, I was driven to a store. I, I might have asked for it. This might have been a birthday present I asked for. I might have seen it in a video store and asked for it. And I got the box art of um, both uh, Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. Loved them dearly, watched them many times. Terminator 2, I definitely loved more. Terminator 1 did have uh, boobs in it. 
So, uh, so that also got play, even though, uh, I mean, Terminator One <laughs> is is very fun, but I I have not seen that in years, so I don't want to talk too much about it, other than how much how great a sequel this is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just I feel like as a good movie, it's also just such a great standalone thing, like. You don't really need to have seen the first one. They fill you in mm-hmm. enough where it, like, you know, it doesn't really matter. And it's a totally different genre of movie. It's sort of, like, kind of similar, sort of an Alien Aliens thing where James Cameron, even though, like, you know, he directed the first Terminator and he did not Alien. But it's kind of, like, a similar thing where the first movie is within one genre and the second one is definitely within a different one and it's more like action-packed kind of like quippy humorous thing yeah and and there's more similarities with how he structures the first off it's um both sequels come a number of years later uh, Mm -hmm. uh after no one would have assumed a sequel to either movie was coming both of them organically are like, okay, where would that character be a number of years later? Uh, with the case of Ripley, it's frozen somewhere. <laughs> but they extend that by saying it's 50 years later. Um, but both of them are take the themes of the first movie and explore it in a different way. And we could... I don't know what to say about uh, James Cameron's version of feminism where he's like, uh, my female characters are so super strong and powerful... Also, the organic next step of all of their storylines is motherhood. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, that's built into the premise of the first movie. I would. Do you think if you combined the daddy issues of Steven Spielberg with the mommy issues of James Cameron, <laughs> they would make the perfect box, uh, like box office baby? Yeah, like sad, sad boy action movie. Uh, yeah, I was actually thinking about that, how it's interesting... That I feel like Spielberg, obviously the most notable example, but usually movies have daddy issues in them. And this one, it's clearly a mom who is absent and weird, but is also much like a dad in other movies allowed to be a very badass kind of kick-ass person, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was very cool. Uh, oh, and I Linda think, Hamilton like, is so cool in this. Yeah, and I think she... In the first movie, she was not that character, I think. Like, that was another sort of organic thing that happened. No, but where... it's... Sorry. No, that's it. <laughs> but it's very much like where we see her now is, while it's such a, a shift from the first movie, and it's dark as shit. Um, yeah. They, the, the years between movies have not treated her well. It's... She, we open with her trapped in an insane asylum for years after being on the run with uh, uh, arms dealers. Um, yeah, which I assume is not in the first movie. So that's like a ton of backstory that they were able to kind of put in there where it wasn't distracting for you not having seen the first one because they are kind of retrofitting a bunch of stuff in there anyway. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I uh, uh, there are two things there I want I, I, I want to talk about is one the way you say the way they do the backstory just I mean with the mo- like some of the shitty movies we watch the ways you know just scenes can't lead into each other and it doesn't feel like a script was finished just watching <laughs> the first half hour of this movie where like a scene will st- a scene will be like 
um, you will see John Connor, but he's not being raised by Sarah. And you're like, huh, where's Sarah? And then uh, Butnik from Salute Your Shorts will be like, your mom's pretty cool, huh? And then uh, uh, John Connor will be like, oh, no, she's crazy. She's in an insane asylum. Cut to the insane asylum. And we see her talking. And then her doctor's like, her doctor's like, wouldn't there be some evidence of the thing from the first movie? And she's like, oh, the company got rid of it. And we cut to the company and we meet Dyson. It's just like so obvious, but it's just like, I, I want to say this in a way that doesn't seem like uh, 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 a damning with faint praise. Like this is a movie, like the best of James Cameron's movies. This is not an art film. This is yeah. just perfect populist entertainment this is just perfect good entertaining storytelling uh also just like so many small things that pay off like Mm. i mean we all know like hasta la vista is probably one of them but there's so many like tiny things where you see like throughout like you know pay off and like especially from that conversation that we have like at the end where you like rides the truck i think and he's like i learned or something like that and mm-hmm. then there's like all this stuff oh, where he looks for the keys where he gets the keys yeah, yeah, later yeah. yeah yeah that's what it is yeah, yeah yeah uh and it's like all this like tiny stuff it just like shows that people work through the story more than like once they they gave it more than a single pass they kind of like saw hey how would this be like fulfilling for everyone and it's like it's an entertaining scene to begin with, like, when they talk initially. And then, like, that scene keeps, like, paying off. Like, you keep, like, referencing all that stuff. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, like, great writing. Like, great sort of Hollywood mainstream writing that yeah. is very impressive because, as you say, like, you think it would be very easy to do. But then, like, so many people get it wrong. And I feel like this movie still holds up so well. I mean, if you basically made this movie today, it would be as relevant as it was back then, especially even more now that we have like more tangible, like artificial intelligence and all that stuff to basically like you can make the exact same movie with the exact same angst and it would, you know, it would still work. It's such a timeless story. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, when people talk about does uh, like a movie like this hold up, frequently they're talking about the special effects. And yeah, I would say, while no one's going to watch it now be mind-blown by the T-1000, <laughs> there are still shots that look great. Some don't look as good as others, but like some still look super fun. But yeah. then it's, it's that, but then, and then it's also the great storytelling. And then it's also like the character arcs are super fun. And then in the action beats... They just keep finding one other, like, there's the, uh, uh, what a scene needs to do for a plot purpose. And then there'll be one other fun touch. There will be something like, oh, yeah, it's a great shot of uh, the T-1000 going through the bars at the insane mm-hmm. asylum. But let's also have a little punchline where he, ha- he can't get the gun through and he has to turn it. <laughs> yeah. When he goes through the mall... Let's have him look at a metallic-looking mannequin just as a little joke. Like, it's just little stuff like that where every scene is one. Uh, uh, when the guy, we have, that great, it's, we have that great scene at the biker bar at the beginning. And then a guy mm-hmm. comes out with, like, you think it's done. And then the guy comes out with a shotgun. Arnold takes it and then reaches out and takes the sunglasses, too. And it's just, <laughs> like, it, I mean, 
Well, we, that also gets into the tone because this movie is just the right level of corny that I mm-hmm. think like, um, uh, you know, some James Cameron stuff like, say, maybe Avatar tips too far into a cheese ball. But mm-hmm. this is just the right level that it's just fun the whole way through. Yeah, I feel like also we can't discount how much of that stuff works because Arnold is just so good at playing a robot. Like He's so wonderful at just embodying this physicality. So it just it never feels like too corny because you're always kind of like are aware that this is a scene between a machine and a kid. I don't know. I think that definitely contributes to that. He's he's doing little things too. I mean, um the first one, he's really just a presence. He's a physical presence. And mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you get one of the Mr. Universe competitors um <laughs> who has a scary accent. Yeah, you're going to get a presence. But in this one, as the character, like, is learning and becoming more human, there are little things that he does. Um, uh, his <laughs> annoyed reaction when <laughs> um, uh, the, he, uh, uh, John Connor goes for the high five and then pulls his hand away. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> that. And then a thing that I don't think I'd ever noticed before is when John Connor asks at the very end, he sees the... <laughs> Molten lava or whatever. As a kid, I just mm-hmm. thought it was lava. I never thought, like, why is there lava in a factory? But <laughs> um, uh, uh, when he sees that and John Connor says, can we throw the, the old equipment in there? You see um, the T-800, all sorts of his character, take a moment to respond as it's doing, like, math. And watching mm-hmm. it now, I realize that's the moment that the machine realizes it has to kill itself. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's such a great moment. Also, just like in all the fighting scenes, he really moves like a robot sometimes. It's kind of interesting. Like there are a bunch of stuff where, uh, especially towards the end where he's up against T-1000 and he keeps punching him and the physicality of him reacting to those punches is not the physicality of a man. It is the physicality of like someone who's a machine. It's so... It's, like, so, like, he didn't need to do that. There are so many movies where, like, you know, a guy, they sort of, like, say, oh, yeah, this guy's a robot, but he actually looks human. And then, like, it gives them license to basically just be, you know, have the physicality of a human all the time. And, like, Mm -hmm. with this one, I don't know. I feel like it really adds something to the movie to have these flashes where you keep being reminded without really, like, overtly being reminded of the fact that, oh, this is you know, a quote-unquote real story of a real, like, uh, I guess, humanoid and uh, uh-huh. a boy. I don't know. It, it's great. It's like, I, I every time I watch it, I, I love this movie so much. <laughs> speaking, speaking of the boy, um, so I want to talk a bit. I, I do want to get back. What I really want to talk about is the choices of how to make a sequel to the first Terminator movie. Because uh, I think they're so interesting. But... Um, The whole boy idea and the thing I mentioned earlier about this really feeling like a wonderful kids movie. Like, I would be happy to show this to most 10-year-olds. I mean, yes, it's violent, but and yeah, there's some cussing, but but it is... (laughs) They just nail the, like, a boy and his dog, like, fantasy of a kid with his own Terminator. Like, what a... (laughs) 
like, I mean, I guess this kind of gets into that whole sequel thing. But, like, the idea of, like, what can we do with the sequel? What if a kid had a pet Terminator is just such a great idea. <laughs> I would love to watch this with a kid now. Because one thing I'm really curious about. I have never found uh, Edward Furlong's performance in this movie annoying. I feel like no. I have a pretty good tolerance for child actors in some stuff. But when a, when a, a, a child character is too precocious and maybe too cool... Like, in a way that feels like an adult wrote it. I'm just like, fuck this. I hate this. But I wonder mm. if, because the first time I saw this, I was still younger than he was. Which, God, I must have been really young. But I, I do remember thinking <laughs> he, was, he was older than me. Um, I did not find him annoying. Because I still was like, oh, he's cool. I wonder if kids now, if the, the 1991 signifiers are so strong that kids would be like, oh, he's annoying. Or if an adult watching it now would be like, he's so fucking annoying. Yeah, I don't read a I, lot of reviews, contemporaneous reviews, where they talk about him being annoying. Yeah, I don't think that's an impression that I get. I also wonder if it has to do with the fact that while it is sort of a boy and his pet robot story, I feel like there are large chunks of the movie where Furlong is not in, where the mm -hmm. focus is shared. And maybe that sort of is also kind of takes the pressure off of him to have to be in every scene and have that to be like the point of every scene. Whereas like, you know, we also Linda Hamilton has a ton to do. So we follow her a bit or, you know, we follow Robert Patrick around. So maybe it's also because he's not it's not his movie, really. No. I mean, yeah, he's a big part of it, but it's not really about him i guess if that makes sense in my mind yeah i think the only uh well he is the savior of mankind but um <laughs> i think the of only course, scene but yeah where i find him a little grating and i do not think this is his fault at all is the scene after she goes to kill dyson and they read the no fate but what you make and they and cameron gives him a lot of exposition in that scene um yeah oh. It's a thing that my dad told her. Wait, I remember the whole thing. There, there's no, the future's not set. There's no fate, but what you make? Dyson, she's gonna kill him. That's the, the one scene where I'm like, okay, he's a little annoying. But, uh, but I really think that is, that is a tough bit of, wait, like, my, uh, adult <sighs> actors have a hard time with scenes of like, Wait, I just realized what's happening. Are you <laughs> telling me that this thing that we've been trying to do is actually over there? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think he's he's pretty good. Uh, and maybe that is because uh, it is an R-rated movie, too. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't feel the need to be overly cutesy with it, too. So they, you know, there are, I think, like, the main sort of scene that's very, that could be basically in a kid's movie is the scene where he teaches him Hasta la Vista and stuff. And that's very cute. But there's really only, like, one scene like that. So. But then, and then, uh, it, does, is that the scene that leads straight into the, the thing where he's like, this guy's kidnapping me? Uh, is it? I thought that is... The, that scene leads into them going to the, uh, the Mexican border. Isn't it? Well, that's before they get a... her. That's when he realizes he can control him. Oh, I so thought that's that like, he teaches he tells... him later. 
I thought he teaches them like hasta la vista in a You might. I think later. he teaches. You. You might be right. He might. He might teach them later. Um, but yeah, yeah, I remember I mean, as a kid. Fine. As a kid, I felt really bad for the guys at that gas station who get their hands I know. shattered just because they tried to help some kid. <laughs> yeah, that was that was him at his meanest, which is sort of. But that's the funny point of the because. Scene. I know, but it's also later on, he's very concerned about him not killing anyone, even though he clearly has a thirst for blood. <laughs> well, I think, it's about, we, I think that storyline is set up so well um, and it's done so well. I like, well, that's the thing. Okay, so now we can get into, so the first movie ends, Michael Bean's character is dead, um, but Linda Hamilton has a little John Connor inside of her. She drives off to an unknown and scary future. Um, she's been trained a little bit. She's going off to train, basically, because she knows this terrible thing is going to happen. Um, so jumping forward a few years, so he organically is like, okay, what would happen to a woman who knew the world was going to end because of time travel? Well, she has no proof. She's probably going to be in an insane asylum. That's an, just an organic guy. That's just a good idea. Okay, well, we talked about John Connor in the last last movie. Let's meet John Connor. Okay, he's a kid now. That's fun. Oh, it's a kid? I, I wonder when... I wonder once they realized the child was the main character. I wonder when they... Well, they probably thought, okay, let's switch uh, Arnold to being a good guy. And maybe that was in part inspired by the actor's uh, persona at the time. Yeah, but at that point, he was pretty big. And yeah, I mean, was he's mostly a good the biggest guy. star in the yeah. world. Yeah, <laughs> that was an understatement. <laughs> but it, like, I here's one thing I noticed that I didn't really notice as a kid: the scene where um, Sarah goes to kill Dyson and his family mm -hmm. is designed to look like scenes where the Terminator in the first movie kills people. Oh, really? Yeah, so she is, there's, sh like, below shots and people cowering on the ground while she, pull, like, emotionlessly pulls out a gun. Looks mm -hmm. a lot like, um, I think, the death of her roommate in the first movie. Uh, oh, interesting. And so it's like, I mean, it's just that little thing. And I think, I think this is why it's so hard to make, has been so hard to make a sequel after this movie. Uh, <laughs> that this whole movie is kind of the flip side of the coin of the first one. In a way that it's just like, yeah, the story's done. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was about the need to save human life as a whole. This one's about, uh, or save humanity as a whole. This one's about the worth of human life individually. Um, Sarah's now trying to, like, Sarah becomes the thing she hates. Uh, becomes like a killing machine to save humanity. Meanwhile, um, the Terminator becomes more human to save it. And we see John becoming in his own by bringing them together. Like, it would be very, it's, I can see why everyone has such, had such a hard time continuing it. It's also like, besides the whole villain thing. Okay, yeah. we had a thing where um, a human was going up against an unstoppable machine in the first movie. Okay, well, what if the unstoppable machine this time is the weak one? Mm -hmm. And we'll show that by having a more powerful machine. That it, you get into the problem that the Jurassic Park uh, franchise had for a while, where the, or still have, where they're like, what if we make a scarier T-Rex? No one well, fucking like, cares. I mean, the third one was like, well, what if 
she was a woman. (laughs) That's like the villain in the third one. Yeah, it wasn't just that she was a woman. She could also shoot bullets, I think. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, she was kind of badass. But I... Yeah, I think this third one I still kind of enjoyed. I remember seeing it in the theater and liking it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fourth one was atrocious. That's the McG one? uh, That's the McG one. And then Genesis, so Salvation, that was the McG one. And then Genesis that followed was even worse somehow. (laughs) I barely remember it, but it was just so, so bad. It was... I just, I don't know. I feel like they really lost the thread with what those movies were. Or yeah. maybe it is because of what you're saying. Because, okay, so we've kind of explored what it is there to explore when it comes to sort of the pre-apocalypse thing. So let's just move it to the future and have it just be like a post-apocalyptic movie. But they don't retain any of the humanity in it. And it's always the stuff that they're building towards is always references to old, to like the older movies without actually saying anything. What? Uh, it's kind of a bummer. What? I never saw uh, Genesis or Dark Fate. <clears throat> I oh, Dark rem- Fate I have not seen either. Yeah. I barely remember three. I really don't remember Sal- uh, uh, Salvation other than the scuttlebutt about the, um, that was one of the first cases of, oh no, it wasn't that people found out the ending. Yeah, yeah, this was the first case of People, the ending twist was leaked and people online got angry. So the studio panicked and rewrote the ending. So the movie doesn't really make sense. Um, oh, is that what happened? I don't even. I remember Chris, uh, Christian Bale screaming at people. That's the other thing people remember. <laughs> that was the main thing I remember from that movie. The twist of that movie was supposed to be that John Connor dies at the end and mm. a Terminator takes his place. And says that he's like, there's a character who is a reprogrammed Terminator, and John Connor tells him to tell people he's John Connor. So he, because people don't know what John Connor looks like. So then mm-hmm. the idea that this whole time the John Connor that saves the, the future was a Terminator the whole time, which wow. is interesting. I do see how people can be like, it's kind of that thing where people are like, but Luke Skywalker can't grow up to be a sad old man. He has to be happy forever. Um, <laughs> I like I I do this one. I get a, a little bit more. Like I get the idea of like you can't reveal that John Connor doesn't have isn't important. That's sad. Um, That's why you don't make sequels. That's why yeah. you can just like live in the happily ever after of your choosing. Yeah, we have. It, I mean, it's the th- we have this first movie. It's all about an average woman finding out that she has, she is one of the most important people <laughs> in on the planet. Uh, she has to help save the human race. So yeah, I just I don't. And then the second one is, what does it take to save the human race? What does that mean? I don't know where. I guess the third, like the next idea would be, is the human race uh, uh, worth saving? I don't know if any. Like I guess that would be. I, if you made a sequel where it's like, oh, it's inevitable, humanity's, you know, doomed and will kill themselves no matter what. It's not the machine's fault. Maybe that's the idea you could you could tackle. I don't know. Did any of the sequels go down that direction? Uh, I don't 
think so. Not as far as I recall. But it is interesting that now that I think of it, so the second one or the third one takes place as the after event that they reference. Yeah, it's after it's in the year 97 or wherever it is that the actual sort of uh, a pot rise of the machines as the, you know, as in the title happens, but they never really like detailed the rise of the machines. It, I, I believe it ends with them stopping, uh, or bombing everything. I, I forget what it is, but they never make yeah, yeah. it to there. What happens and, is I, I vaguely remember this is that the whole time the Terminator is trying to get them to stop uh, Skynet, but then it's revealed that in actuality, the Terminator's mission in that time is to just get them to a bunker because uh, uh, Judgment Day is inevitable. But I don't know if it's inevitable because, like, humanity, or it's just like, oh, humans are going to build machines. I don't know how they play it. It's just like, this movie has ideas. It has ideas about let's flip these characters. Everything that was interesting about the other movie, let's, let's keep what's fun about it. But let's also flip it and see it from a new angle. In the first movie, uh, uh, Sarah's whole thing was that she was unprepared for this. In this movie, she's prepared almost to a fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, all those things are interesting. And I think I, it is just a perfect next step in a way that makes it so hard to continue. Right. So yeah. don't. So just don't. <laughs> Well, yeah, let's revert the next four movies that I have. Rip off another Harlan (laughs) Ellison story and start over again. (laughs) Come on, James Cameron, stop making avatars, make something else. Um, Uh, I have another thing I would like to discuss. Please. Which is more interesting in our context as opposed to necessarily when it was made. But the fact that uh, Jason Patrick is a cop. Uh, and he's Robert like, Patrick. Robert Patrick. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Jason yes. Patrick. Speed two. Uh, but no, the fact that he's like this white cop in LA, specifically, yeah, LAPD. And like the fact that the LA <laughs> cruisers say to protect and serve in quotes. Uh, and this is a year. So I looked it up. I was like, was this pre or post riots? So this is a year before the riots happened. So I don't think there's anything necessarily intentional in their depiction or like them choosing i feel like if anything it was the opposite of them choosing oh like he's a nice white cop guy he must be good what a twist it would be that the machine is actually bad but i feel like now it actually adds more menace to him the fact that he is a cop and the fact that he kind of looks like the kind of cop who you think is trustworthy but actually like in most movies that would probably be made now would be kind of the shadiest of cops. Now, uh, and I found it kind of interesting. I'm really, cause I was thinking about that too. I'm really curious about that. There's a part of me that's like, okay, if they made, uh, if, it, if this had been after the LA riots, I think they would, they would have been too afraid to make him an LAPD officer. I think they would have been like, yeah, that's maybe. too, that's too charged. We cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, not, I, I'm trying to think, have there been any, are there any big, uh, uh I mean, there were Watts riots in 69, I think, or 67. Sure. Um, I want, so I was, I was curious. I, th- do, do they cast him as a police officer 
because to the filmmakers, a police officer represents safety and it's ironic, or because he represents a machine, a threatening piece of uh, uh, oppression. Yeah, so that's, I feel like they were going for the former, but now in our, in our times, I feel like it definitely, the interpretation of it being the latter is definitely the more, I don't know, of our time, if that makes sense. I feel like maybe that's kind of another very good thing about this movie that makes it kind of timeless is that sort of that relationship uh, very obviously flipped at this point. And it's sort of that movie still works then as sort of the, you know, the menace you don't expect. And now it works as the sort of this robot is part of like this machine in our police state or whatever it is. But like it works both ways. Oh, it uh, works. Yeah, yeah it, it works so well. I, it's, it's crazy. I mean, like, obviously protests protests against police violence were already happening i mean uh, uh fuck the police the song had come out 3 years before this movie was released but mm. would the predominantly white uh, producers of this film filmmakers be thinking of police that way i i'm trying to go i mean I the police in they. general are not depicted particularly well in this movie um uh it's more it's played primarily for laughs when they got shoot in the, shot in the legs. Um, and, I mean, the first movie, it's been years, and last time I saw it, I would not have, I, I would have been a, a, a teen at the latest. Um, so I don't know that I would have been thinking about it this way. So, in the first movie, so many cops die. Mm. Uh, one of the major action set pieces is that she's in a police station and he just comes in and kills, like, 30 police. <laughs> he just w goes one by one and shoots them all. And I assume that that was chosen in the first movie to show she's not safe anywhere. Literally right. yeah. in the place where she should be as safe as a human being can be from someone trying to kill them. In the center of a police station, she is not safe. Um, but I do re kind of remember them being kind of bumbling. So they're also depicted as like, oh, they can't figure out what's going on. They can't help her. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Cameron's Cameron's pretty boomer hip, hip uh, uh, hippie, uh, hippy dippy. Uh, maybe maybe he intended that. He intended the inherent menace of a police officer. But I I genuinely don't know. I, yeah. I think the fact maybe like uh, obviously. Um, uh, not on a uh, um, like racial lines, but maybe just the fact that he's one of his main characters is a child delinquent. The idea of making it a police officer makes it like, oh, that's who would be scary to him. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I think sort of the idea of he is, but uh, he's supposed to be enforcing the law, but he is actually breaking the law. I mean, it's such a, it's, it's, it's a very simple thing. And I think, like, at the time, it probably kind of played that way. But now I feel like there are more levels to it. And, I mean, again, I don't think that at, in 91 or whatever, everyone adored the cops. But I just don't think it was the Hollywood mainstream narrative that, you know, ACAB, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't. <th> <laughs> 
So I, I think it's probably sort of, yeah, I think there are a few reasons as to why they could include it. I don't think it is included as commentary necessarily about police brutality or anything like that. But who knows? Maybe maybe Cameron could surprise us. Maybe an Avatar 2 will get the answers to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, it's, that, that is a super interesting thing. I do, want, I do think they probably couldn't do... Couldn't do a, a a violent cop killing a LAPD officer killing indiscriminately one year later. I think they would have they would have the studio would have panicked. But speaking of the time it came out, one thing that I think is really interesting. So in 1991, Arnold's in this movie. In the year mm-hmm. 1990, he's in Total Recall, and I, uh. I and people have pointed out a lot that he is on both really both sides right there on the CGI dividing line. <laughs> of like the like it, it's funny you watch those two movies back to back i love both those movies so much and i think mm-hmm. they're both truly excellent action films and i think arnold's great in both of them um it they feel like they were made 10 years apart instead of one year mm-hmm. apart just because of the shift in special effects but i also feel like if I recall correctly, uh, Total Recall relies way more on special effects that Terminator does. I I feel like in Terminator, there's actually only a very few scenes that are effect heavy. Most of it is implied, or uh, and but I feel like with Total Recall, most of the movie is either futuristic sets that could look very outdated mm-hmm. or either you know uh cg or prosthetics and stuff that could also age kind of less graciously than what we have here yeah and that uh, that is a, a good point i mean uh, uh, terminator 2 is primarily still uh these incredible uh practical effects with the stunts in particular i mean the one thing that made me like uh uh like hold my breath for a second that you would never you don't feel this way about movies nowadays because you know no one really did it is mm-hmm. um the scene in the the chase at the end where um robert uh, robert patrick's in the helicopter and the helicopter is trying to catch them and comes to an overpass a bridge yeah, yeah, yeah. and pulls <laughs> up so last second and you know a stunt pilot actually did it and it's fucking insane. Like, first, yeah. on one level, it's like, why did the machine do that? The machine should have pulled up sooner. But on another level, it's like, holy shit, they held that to the last second. Yeah, I actually, I gasped at that scene, too. I think, yeah, it just has very cool effects. And I think it was probably smart of them to not include as much of them. So mm-hmm. it would age the movie. But yeah. I, and... Sorry. Go ahead. No, they're so they're so they were so groundbreaking at the time. Is why like it looks so, even though you don't see that many of the CGI effects, they were so powerful that it did make the movie feel like it's from a different generation than Total Recall. Oh, I mean, I remember when I, you know, five six year old me was watching that movie on VHS. I was so blown away. It was so scary too. Like anytime his hand turns into a knife or whatever, it's still so freaky. It's just like that physicality is so weird. Also, I love how the sort of the liquid metal-y stuff was embraced by the secret world of Alex Mack, which is what <laughs> I mostly think of whenever I see him being liquidy. Uh, but yeah. 
Did Very Robert much. Patrick ever do a cameo on that show? I, I think because I'm sure they could have gotten him. I bet really? they could have gotten him. Let, let's look it up. I, I mean, that would cause me a lot of delight if that. I happens. know he's done a ton of stuff, but I to me he's to me he uh, I, I he's Terminator Two, and then um, I think the Sporting Goods guy from The Sopranos. I think it was a Sporting Goods store. Whatever it was, he got in business with Tony, and it did not work out well. Oh, I don't even remember that. Yeah, he's uh, like I think the dad of one I one of Meadows' friends, maybe or I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I do know what you're talking about. He has a goatee. He's not a robot. Ooh, as as far as you know, I don't know that those two are mutually <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> Man, he uh, has do think, done a ton of do stuff. Do you think there are Terminators walking around in the Sopranos universe? Uh, I mean, isn't Tony Soprano a Terminator of some kind? He terminates a lot of people's lives. <laughs> Do you think he's a Terminator that came back, did his job, and then just <laughs> lived the rest of his life as a mob boss? Is that what we're going to find out in the prequel movie, that Tony was actually a Terminator sent you, back in time <laughs> to kill someone? You know someone? what? That would not be the worst idea. <laughs> Maybe that is the Terminator sequel we want, where the Terminator actually gets this shit done fairly early on and then just like has a suburban existence. I mean, it is kind of what True Lies is in many ways. <laughs> I think that, I think Dark Fate kind of did something like that. Oh, really? I don't think I've seen yeah, that. Yeah, that, uh, that uh, the Arnold in that one is just a Terminator that finished its job and grew up. Oh. <laughs> I mean, uh, wh- what was I going to say? True Lies. I, I think I, I know that I love The Terminator, but I feel like I love True Lies more. True- <laughs> I think True Lies is so much fun. True Lies is great. True Lies does have, um, it has some, some racial stereotypes that hold it back today. But Oh, yeah, I bet. I have not yeah. rewatched it, but I remember really liking it. And I, I, I assume, you know, being an Arab terrorist has not aged greatly. <laughs> I, I think that movie, that movie is like probably 94 or something and it, or 95. And it is just the pinnacle of Hollywood's um, vague Middle Eastern bad guys, period. Uh, I have a, a few a few things that I, I wrote down here, a few little details. Um, uh, the actor who plays Dyson... Let me let me get his. Um, I looked. At, I I lost it because I had to look up uh, what year uh, "Fuck the Police" came out. Um, <laughs> the actor who plays Dyson, um, whose name is Joe, Joe Morton. Morton. Joe Morton. Boy, that guy does some great uh, sweaty breathe acting. <laughs> I know at the end where he's like almost giving birth. It was he, like well, he, he does was... it twice. He does it when she shoots him the first time. <laughs> He was doing Lamaze classes. But you know what? Maybe he did some research and maybe that is like how you would try to hold hold it together as you're bleeding to death. I mean, it really works though. I and like that his death scene has really uh it's funny. Um I remember feeling so badly for Dyson when I saw mm-hmm. this as a kid. And I was watching it now, and I was sitting there, and I was like, okay, let's say I'm John Connor. And I find out, oh, my God, my mom is on a a path to go assassinate Mark Zuckerberg. Um, (laughs) 
I do think I'd try to stop her, but I wouldn't try like that hard. <laughs> <laughs> I there's a, a much shittier version of this movie where instead of Mike Di- uh, like uh, instead of Mike Dyson instead of uh, uh, the Dyson, Dyson man <laughs> Miles Dyson instead of Dyson being like a middle manager, he's actually like the head of Cyberdyne, and he's like a shitty like tech yeah. tech billionaire. Um, and he's like, oh, you can't destroy myself. Making him like a little a lower management guy who isn't getting, getting all the information makes it so much easier for him to become sympathetic. I also like that he came around. Very like, quickly. A, yeah, a crazy lady comes in, shoots him, but then they calmly explain the situation. And he's like, oh, OK, I've done wrong. I'm going to help you. <laughs> there was one. Of the, there were a few scenes where the voiceover narration kind of got to me um, where I'm like, this is maybe not the best element of this movie, but that scene, we skip over so many scenes, so much bullshit we could have looked at. And the movie does that a lot. Like I remember earlier, one thing I thought earlier was there's a scene where they first get to um, uh, uh, where they're at the arms dealers place. And, um, and uh, uh, John Connor's playing with the Terminator while Sarah Connor's watching him. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, realistically, her distrust of the Terminator would have lasted much longer. That she would, like, she wouldn't just be like, all right, cool, hang out with the boy I've spent my entire life protecting, man who looks identical to the man who tried to kill him. But mm-hmm. then I'm like, I don't want to watch that. That's fucking boring. Yeah. yeah. He saves her, so she's in on it. She's into it. Yeah. They do that a bunch. It's like, well, who are you supposed to be? And then they cut away because it's like, yeah, we already know. We don't need to hear them explain it to another person. We got it. But yeah, I think the voiceover, I was wondering what. Because I feel like in many movies, voiceover comes in where either in test screenings, people were confused and studios are like, okay, we need to like make things clear. We can't reshoot things, so we'll have the character do a voiceover, and that will be clear. Or if they are trying to cut stuff, and but they still want the information conveyed in some way. So they, I, so I wonder like whether they shot a lot more stuff, and then they were like, ah, it's fine. She can like explain it in a few sentences. <laughs> I know there were a lot of deleted scenes. Like one thing is um there's a major deleted subplot about the fact that uh basically uh the Terminator has to have his learning his learning computer turned on. Mm-hmm. Um and that's why he with starts love. With, yeah. <laughs> and that's why he starts developing emotions or understanding emotions so much faster in the second half of the movie. But you really don't need that. The one no. thing I do know is there was a Michael Bean cameo. Aww. There's an alternate opening or something where he appears to her in a dream. And I like Michael Bean, but it is very cheesy. It is like the alternate ending of Titanic where it's like, James Cameron, he's like right on the edge of cornball. And once he goes over, you're like, get that the fuck out of the movie. Uh, uh, it is. I, I did think it was funny watching this now. Whenever, when like, um, uh, John Carter's like, oh, she was only with my dad for a night. She still loves him, I guess. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's definitely what she told you. <laughs> <laughs> the guy she knew for six hours. Yep, yep. She said, that's also, what she I, cries about at night. It's, yeah, she misses I would be him surprised so much. 
Yeah, I would be surprised also if my mom was like, yeah, this was a one night stand. You know, like, I feel like your parent would be like, you know, we fell apart, whatever. Like, I don't know that they would be that specific saying something like that. But well, she had to explain that um, that that's a relationship I always wanted to see. Uh, And like Salvation, I think, does it for like a second. But the idea of John Connor in his 40s finally for the first time ever meeting his father who is mm. 20 years younger than him or yeah, that does I don't happen. know in salvation is that in there yeah Anton Yelchin is right uh, young uh, uh, Kyle Reese Kyle Reese yeah. do they spend much time with it though like I would watch a movie that, or a TV show that's just their relationship what's that like he can't tell Kyle Reese that Kyle Reese is his father. He also can't tell him that he knows he's sending him on a suicide mission. Like, I always found that super interesting. I guess, but also, like, time travel, like, the... When you start thinking about time travel, even this movie does not make sense. Because, like, every... Every time travel plot is, uh... What's the word I'm looking... As a paradox. You know? So, like, none of it makes sense. Because, like, okay, so if he sends Kyle Reese back to the uh, future, or, no, in the future, back in time, like, wouldn't he then, by going back, know that, who John Connor is? Like, all of that stuff, like, the more you think about it. No, because John Connor isn't, um, he just knows that uh, Sarah Connor's going to give birth to John Connor. He doesn't know, at least I don't believe, I don't think he knows that he's the father. Because mm. he doesn't, it's because I think that would make their sex scene much weirder if that's part of his mission. <laughs> no, I don't think part of his mission is to impregnate her necessarily, but I feel like by virtue of introducing time travel, you have to kind of contend with the fact that everyone knows everything at the same time, right? Because, okay, so let's think about kind of this movie, right? So, like, uh John Connor sends the Terminator back in time, right? Uh mm-hmm. to help himself in the past. But if he succeeds, that means that like there wouldn't be a Terminator, right? So there wouldn't be anyone to send back in time. So there's like <laughs> kind of like well, a weird paradox like that. Presumably and- the rules of this movie mean that 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 timeline ceases to exist or they separate onto a different timeline. Right. But I feel like all of these things introduce their own <laughs> paradoxes because time travel inherently doesn't make any sense. So I feel like with all of that stuff, I choose to kind of just go along with what they want. I agree with you that sort of like knowing this man is going to be your dad is kind of interesting, but. And sending him to die. And also, it's yeah. like, so in the first movie, Kyle Reese shows up. And he's been given a photograph of a Sarah Connor that we see get taken at the end of the movie that John Connor gives to her. And presumably, Kyle Reese does not know this, but John Connor gives him the photo to be like, here you go, get horny for my mom so you can go make me. (laughs) I guess what I'm saying, like, okay, we switch genres a little bit in this one. We go more from, like, sci-fi horror to sci-fi action. I think the next one, give the the third one should have been Field of Dreams sci-fi, 
where it's just it's just the last scene of Field of Dreams spoilers where Kevin Costner meets a younger version of his father and they hang out uh, do that but it's it's John Connor hanging out with Kyle Reese do you have anything else to say about Terminator 2 uh, well how about our uh, favorite segment of ooh it wouldn't fly today Oh gosh. Um yeah, I I've I've two more little things to say, but we, I can I can say them after this. I totally forgot about this segment and I didn't really hmm, I didn't really notice anything. I noticed kind of a minor thing. I guess I don't know. It's more uh, for for, I, the, I, for new listeners, uh, this is our oh, segment yeah. where we point out uh, elements in the older movies that uh, maybe don't play as well today as they did at the time. For various reasons. I The only thing that I noticed, and I, I don't know, maybe it's my sort of uh, blind spot in action movies today, but I feel like there was a lot of glee in him shooting kneecaps, mm. and it happened a ton. And I feel like in movies now, the, the hero just like, spray spraying bullets at everyone i don't think that's like a convention in action movies these days i feel like these days the hero would usually not be doing that like taking pains to avoid doing that so i found it kind of interesting that uh, they were allowing their lead to basically just, like, massacre. I mean, he's not massacring people because he knows not to do that, but I feel like there's such, you know, uh, glee in him. It's played for like, laughs. Yeah, it's it's just, like, I don't know. There was, like, a hail of bullets, and it wasn't clear why it was there, except for, like, that was a convention at the time that, you know, Arnold has to spray a bunch of people with bullets. I don't think, I don't think that, it, unlike other uh, versions of the segment we've done for other movies, I don't think anyone would be particularly offended by that moment. Unless oh, yeah, some, no, no. some devout back-the-blue weirdo. But, um, uh, but that, <laughs> uh, that is one scene that doesn't play the way it was originally intended at the time except only as a parody of the similar scene in the first movie where he murders everyone. But definitely mm -hmm. at the time it was considered more, it was definitely intended more as a parody of those action movies in general, where, you know, all of the big strongman action movies that were popular in the late eighties, your uh, uh, Schwarzenegger, Stallone movies, they all were almost advertising how big the body count was you know, oh, mm -hmm. Rambo, Rambo kills 300 people in this movie. So it's very much a subversion and a joke of like, oh, Arnold shoots so many people, but zero of them die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I, I can see that being a subversion of it, but it also, to me, not knowing the background to that, it didn't read like that. It just, mm -hmm. it read like, oh, he's just going to be, like, shooting a bunch of, I guess, property for a while for no real reason. Yeah, it's... I mean, plot-wise, it's to show that, wow, he really is learning. I mean, it's he's learning, but it's more just, like, he has to follow the kid's orders. Yeah, I think that those scenes of him shooting the machine uh, minigun, um, unless you really like watching cars explode, he does shoot for a while. Yeah. And I... 
I do think the central joke of, oh, he's he's actually not killing anyone. He's The computer is so smart that it can shoot around everyone. I think that doesn't play as much of a joke anymore. Nowadays, mm. we have, you know, we in the first Iron Man, where his computer goes, five missiles, bang, 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 and the computer's like, didn't shoot a single civilian. And it's <laughs> like, all right, okay, Tony Stark, this is our drone strike wish fulfillment mo- moment. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that moment plays, it certainly doesn't play the same way today. Right. Well, that's all I had. Um, I yeah, I don't really have anything for that category, but um, uh, things I did notice uh, real fast. The one little like one of the other other than some of the narration stuff, the one bit that went over the cornball for me. Um, I need a vacation is so. Uh, <laughs> I need a vacation is very much like there. I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> like. I get like, it. It's Arnold the end of the movie, else. but come on. He hasn't gotten far enough to be making one-liners like that. <laughs> he doesn't yeah, know what no. a vacation is. <laughs> yeah, that was a but groaner. It's, fine. it's the end of the movie. I'm okay with it. Um, and then there was uh, uh, one other thing. Oh, gosh, I don't remember. I thought I had one other thing, but maybe I don't. Oh, Oh, just, we talked about some of the great uh, screenwriting things in this movie. When you have something, so an idea or, 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 or a moment that is going to be, you know, is truly horrifying. And you know you have the visual to, visuals to back it up. I love the, this is, you see this in horror movies a lot. I love the screenwriting trick of describing the thing first like 40 mm-hmm. minutes before you see it. So her describing the nuclear dr- I always forget that you don't see the nuclear dream at the beginning. She describes it at the beginning. She describes mm-hmm. seeing the children explode into paper, but it isn't till all that way later. So presumably when people are seeing it for the first time if they're really following it, once they see that playground in that dream, they know exactly what is coming, which makes it for the audience that much more upsetting because you have mm-hmm. the shock and the dread before it. But yeah, it's stuff like that that I'm like, oh, that's just so, that's just so, such a well-structured screenplay. I know. And I also thought that it would be in the beginning for some reason. I was like, oh, they're not showing the nuclear stuff at the beginning? Maybe, yeah, I don't know why my brain also remembered it that way. Maybe it was the Universal Studios ride. Is that, are they showing it at the beginning there? I don't think we watch children explode in the T3 ride. By the way, the only good sequel to this movie. <laughs> it was really fun. I, I Is it still around? I meant to look it up, and but I forgot. I bet it's not. No, it, it closed down. It was replaced with something. It was so much fun. It had yeah. reprisals from... The three leads, Robert Patrick might have been in it, but it might have just been archival footage, actually. But it had uh, uh, um, Schwarzenegger, Eddie Furlong, in the last time he'd play the role after he, before he got recast and, multiple times, and Lyndall Hamilton. And it was just, look it up. We're not going to do a full thing about it, but it is, 
It was awesome. It was fun. It was exciting. That's the only worthwhile sequel. And I also, I remember, I watched a few episodes of the Sarah Connor Chronicles, the TV show, and it was fine. I, I, I think people really like it. It's got Lena Headey and Garrett Dillahunt. That's fun. That's good. That's a good cast. I never watched it because I got burnt on Rise of the Machines. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's a fun thing. I'm sure that's a thing where a lot of people don't know that. And then um, that's a fun... If you ever want... If you're hanging out with some some nerds who are nerdy but not too nerdy, and you could be like, oh, you know, uh, Cersei from Game of Thrones played Sarah Connor in a TV show. I feel like another... At least one person at your nerdy party will be like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Oh, I thought you were going to say they're going to rise up and applaud you. (laughs) (laughs) No, most of them will be like, I knew that. I knew that already. Loser. I watched that so I could jerk off to the the actress from Serenity. (laughs) Who? I don't don't remember the actress. uh, Summer Blau or Summer? Oh, yeah. I see. I I never liked uh, Firefly, so yeah, I was also not a fan. Love Buffy though. Well, Uh, (laughs) cool. (laughs) One thing that we can do now that we haven't done in the last few episodes. uh, uh, What else you been watching? Oh baby. Well, let me tell you. Uh, There's a documentary on HBO Max about Woodstock '99. And I've now seen it twice. <laughs> it's is that really a good. new documentary? Yeah, it's uh, so I guess Bill Simmons is producing uh, a musical equivalent of 30 for 30. It's called Music Box. I don't know mm. that they're going to be 30, but they're documentaries about music for HBO Go, full featured. Uh, and so the first one was about uh, Woodstock 99. Uh I, in preparation to, I guess, watching it, or, like, as I was watching the trailer, someone linked to uh, an article from Spin Magazine about it, and it was insane. So I was very prepared for this documentary, (laughs) and it was still shocking. Like, the footage from that documentary are legitimately frightening. Where Uh, can I watch that? It's on HBO Max. I'm going to watch it. That sounds great. Yeah, it's the moment corn goes out and performs and you see a a crowd of 400,000 people just move about in waves and just the sense of like something is about to get fucked up is so intense like it really works like a horror movie uh, nothing like the really foreshadowing of the moment corn takes the stage i i never thought i would be scared of watching corn perform but here i was uh, and then, so I watched that, and I would also recommend watching the new Nicolas Cage movie, Pig, which... Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I I thought it was very lovely. I I don't think you are going to know what's happening based on seeing the trailer, which I think is actually really good. Um, and also, I think it just looks gorgeous. I think it's a very good movie, and it looks beautiful. So if you can check it out, you should. Nice. Um, I've seen a few movies uh, that I haven't talked about on here. I saw uh, In the Heights in the theaters, which um, I oh do boy. not think, I don't think it's perfect. I think a lot of the, the uh, from what I gather, nearly everything I didn't like about it is not in the stage musical. And they make ch- ch- uh, shifts to 
character arcs that really are kind of baffling uh, and mm. make the movie very directionless in the middle. That being said, um, it was very fun to see a big musical on uh, the big screen. I love big uh, movie musicals, and this is one that really uses... Like, they dance on the side of a wall. If you're going to do a musical, <laughs> make people dance on the side of a wall. Do shit like that. Uh, <laughs> if you do shit like that, I, I'm at the very least going to give a, a hesitant thumbs up, even though, yeah, a lot of, a lot of the rest of it was boring. Um, uh, I saw for the first time ever uh, The Raid. Oh, wow. I've never seen The Raid. I have never seen it. It fucking ruled. And people tell me the second one is better. So I'm excited. Um, That's what I hear. And then finally, last week, I saw Zola. Oh, boy. Um, now, you, did we you didn't like it. Uh, I, I thought it was fine. I just, I have issues with it. I, God, oh, man. <laughs> Zola, sell some more tickets so we can talk about it on this show. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll do a bonus episode talking about Zola because I think that movie's fascinating. My summary is that uh, uh, my my overall summary is that um, I think the sum is weaker than what's the fucking expression? Uh, I mean, it's the opposite. Or the the. Uh, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. But you are trying to say the opposite, Oh, right? I thought the expression was usually used meaning the opposite. The sum is not worth the whole, the whole of its parts. What? Really? Whatever, whatever. Uh, what I'm saying is I there were flaws to the movie, particularly uh, the, one of the major things, the two major problems I had with it was the pacing of the story. This is the one that's based on uh, the viral Twitter story. And if you think that sounds silly, read the Twitter story. It's fascinating. Um, the one major choice uh, that speaking of voiceover narration, that's a movie that should have had way more of it. Uh, the thing that people, one of the things people loved about the original story was the actual voice of the woman writing it, telling this uh, mostly true story. Um, and she has very little voiceover narration, and the actress is great, but they don't give her enough. She mostly just stands there watching stuff. Um, I think that's a negative. I also think they pace the story weirdly, so that so much of the action has to happen very fast in the last 30 minutes, and then it just kind of ends. Mm -hmm. But on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, there are excellent performances and just great fun things happening nonstop, interesting ideas, fun ideas of how to uh, direct and block and, and just depict different moments. Um, not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination. I actually think the characterization of some of the characters was better in the Twitter thread. But, <laughs> but I, this is one where I'd say, read the thread first. Um, I know a lot of people say the opposite. Read the thread first, I say. But uh, but yeah, overall, I think it's it's very, just on a moment to moment basis, super entertaining. Cool. <laughs> I remember. I, I remember, and I I can see like the the pluses in it. I just I feel like the negatives to me outweighed the positives. But hey, let's not. Were, you, were your negatives were your negatives similar to mine? I think so. I feel like 
just the characters were so flat. And I think mm-hmm. you bringing up the idea of having more voiceover, maybe that would have perked things up. But I feel like it was... I don't know. It felt like plot-wise, it was very by the numbers. <laughs> I, I was had not... You, had you read the story beforehand? I read most of the thread. I got bored by the thread, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, but I did, I enjoyed the voice of the person who wrote it. And I think the stuff that I found the most amusing in this adaptation was when the voice was used, mm-hmm. uh, by both of the characters. Uh, but yeah, everything else was just like, I did not know why this woman was doing this and maybe we're not supposed to know, but I feel like the motivations for most of these people were sort of empty to me. And and so their character developments was also like an inspiring and an interesting to me. Um, I did like cousin Greg though. That's good. <laughs> uh, it'd be cousin Greg from uh, Succession. Um, yes. Cool, uh, cool, cool, cool. What what's coming up on the docket? Well, uh, this week we could potentially be watching. Oh my God, I. That tab is not where I thought it was. <laughs> but, okay. We could be seeing The Green Knight. Ooh, I hope. Unlikely. I want to see that. I, I also want to see it. But is I that going to be a number will. one? I don't think that's going to be a number one. It is a wide release. So, let's make it happen. Come Patel. on, Dev Patel stands. Let's yeah, do Patel it. Patel heads. Uh, then Jungle Cruise, which is a more likely candidate. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. uh, which, I gotta say, I love that ride. Uh, I don't know that this <laughs> is gonna be that. Uh, and Stillwater, uh, the new Mad Damon movie. Oh, it's, uh, um, that Tom I'm actually McCarthy, excited. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I'm actually also looking forward to seeing. Yeah, but... well, I definitely don't think that's gonna be number one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, maybe old is gonna be number one again. At the oh, that's very likely. You have you didn't catch it yet, have you? I have not. I don't really want to, <laughs> so I feel like the only way I would is if we are forced to. <laughs> well, fortunately, we're time travelers, so aging is not much of a problem for us. Um, exactly. Uh, we're like the time traveler's wife. We just flit in and out. I've never read or seen that movie. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> let's time travel our ways out of here. Toot toot. Toot toot is right. <laughs> <laughs>